This is a special pre-Simplify announcement to let you, people who I'd bet are already Seth Godin fans, know about a brand new show from us at Blinkist called Two Minutes with Seth Godin. And it is exactly what it sounds like. And it's great. It's two minutes of Seth directly in your ears, sharing fresh ideas that will take you to a brand new place in your thinking about life, work, and purpose. It comes out twice a week, only on the Blinkist app. And that's important. You can only hear two minutes with Seth Godin on Blinkist. So if you don't already have the app, and why don't you, go to Blinkist.com and sign up for a free trial to hear what I'm talking about. All right. Now, without any further ado, let's get you into this interview with the one and only Seth Godin. Hi, it's Caitlin, and I'm here with a new episode of Simplify Spotlight. If you're wondering, hey, did I miss something? What's a spotlight? The answer is one, yes, and two, I would be delighted to tell you. First, this is not a full-length edition of Simplify. You'll have to wait for January for that. But that's also the beauty of it. With Simplify Spotlight, we bring you one big idea from a brand new nonfiction book straight from the author who wrote it. So you'll walk away with something fascinating to think about and a plan for what to read next in just about 15 minutes. In this episode of Simplify Spotlight, I chat with the one and only Seth Godin, master of marketing, about his new book, This Is Marketing, which is out on November 13th and is meant to be said exactly like that. You can ask Seth if you don't believe me. Tune in to hear Seth explain how to make marketing have meaning by finding your smallest viable audience, figuring out what they actually want, not just what you want to sell them, and talking to them in a way that touches their deepest emotional needs. And also, Seth makes a case for why marketing isn't actually evil, or it doesn't have to be, a topic that Time magazine said he'd never touch. All right, so without any further ado, we're going to jump right into the interview. I've talked to Seth before. We know each other. You know him. We figured we'd just skip the introductions and go straight into the meat of the interview. So let's do it. You make marketing sound like a force for good in the world, which is not really a common a common thought about marketing. In fact, it's construed as as evil and and userly very often. Um, how is it that you've repositioned marketing in your, in your head this way and in this book to be a force for good? Well, marketing isn't a force for good, it's a force. And if you use it to make things better by making better things, it will be a force for good. If you use it to selfishly market at people so you can get more and they can have less, then it's a bad thing. But if I believe that the world is more efficient, safer, healthier, calmer now than it was 200 years ago, if I believe that I'm glad that we have penicillin and that we have uh, indoors and that we have cooking and that people aren't getting tuberculosis, these things happened because of marketing. Technology came along, innovation came along, but none of it would have worked. None of it would have spread if people hadn't voluntarily engaged with it. And so if you're a marketer, if you're someone who's trying to make change happen, I start with this. Are you doing work that you're proud of? Or have you fooled yourself into thinking that because it's your job, you have to do it? Because lots of people have jobs where they do work that matters, and you could have one too. And then the second half is, what makes it matter? Does it matter to you or does it matter to the person you're serving? Because I'd argue that helping the people you serve is more important than you deciding what you do is important. If they think it's important, if they would miss you if you were gone, then the work you have has meaning. You know, you also say something in This Is Marketing about 
find that smallest viable market, the smallest viable audience. I'm familiar with with the term MVP, minimum viable product, but this is like minimum viable audience. What do you mean when you talk about your smallest viable audience? Well, the industrial marketer, which is the last hundred years of marketing, got hooked on more. How do we reach more people? How do we get more shelf space? How do we get bigger? And the problem with more is it means average because reaching everyone by definition is average, which also means mediocre. And the alternative is to be special and to be important to some. And to the critic who doesn't get it, you say, it's not for you. But to the one who you have made this promise to, the promise carries with it baggage because now you have to keep the promise. Now you have to say, I only picked 200 of you to serve. And if the 200 of you aren't delighted, I'm in trouble, right? You don't, can't let yourself off the hook by saying there's someone right around the corner who will buy it tomorrow. So this idea that there's 200 or 2,000 or 20,000 people who you're, are your ideal customers forces you to make something special for them, not something average for everyone. Mm-hmm. How do you make something special? What are, what are the, the first things that you consider when you think about making something really special? Well, the biggest thing is it has to put you on the hook. You have to make an assertion. You have to have a point of view. If you make hardware or luggage or a service that's a lot like everybody else's, it's not special. There's an easy replacement. But if you assert that we're going to stake out this corner and for this particular need, there is no substitute, then that starts to feel special. So if I ask people, tell me brands that you love, someone might say something like Patagonia. Well, what makes Patagonia special? Because you can buy a coat that will keep you warm that isn't made by them. But there's all the stuff that goes around the Patagonia brand that was difficult to create, scary to create, that has lots of critics. That is the special stuff that people pay extra for if they want to be in Patagonia's smallest viable audience. You also say something in this is marketing about how there are there's just a certain number of emotional needs or emotions that all humans have in common and that we as marketers seek to fill. Why is this useful or important to know? Well, there are people, most people I engage with, who think that the specific thing that they sell is what people actually need, right? That people need a paperback book, that people need a word processor, that people need a back rub. Now, we don't need any of those things. We might want them. But the reason we want them is not because of the thing that they do, but because of the feeling that when they do it, we get in return. So if we can get to the basic human needs that we are filling, the need to be seen, to be understood, to be productive, the need to feel safe and secure, the need to lead, the need to feel scared now and then, the need to be thrilled. There aren't that many of them. And if we can get to first principles, then we can make a product or service that creates those feelings more efficiently or more directly than the thing that we are replacing. What are some brands that are fulfilling a very obvious emotional need? Like what need is Mercedes fulfilling? Right. So clearly Mercedes, uh, uh, let's pick an expensive Mercedes. An expensive Mercedes does not fulfill the need to be able to have transport because you can buy transport for one quarter the price. So what are you actually buying when you're buying a Mercedes? What you're buying 
It's a story you can tell yourself about security and safety and achievement. Or maybe you're buying a story you can tell your neighbors about status. So if I know that those are the things that Mercedes actually sells, I'll design the dealership differently. I'll design my pricing differently. I'll design the paint choices differently. When the service uh, interaction comes along, I will not have the service at a Mercedes dealer feel like it feels at a Toyota dealer, because if I do, then I will have undermined the very thing I was trying to create. And because marketers forget to go to that first principle, they start saying to themselves, oh, I make a car. And your car broke, so I'm going to charge you to fix it. No, you don't make a car. You make a feeling. Hmm. What feeling were you trying to make when you wrote this as marketing? Is there a certain feeling that you try to make when you write books? Oh, for sure. So here's what I know. I can reach 10 times as many people with a blog post as with a book. And I can do it in one day instead of a year. So why spend a year on a book when I could just write it as a blog post instead? And the answer is... If one of my readers gets five copies of my book and gives four of them to her coworkers, something will change at work. That packaging, the ability, no batteries required, to share a complete idea with other people is why I write a book. And so the emotion that I am offering to that person is your status will go up, your confidence will go up, you will feel like you are contributing just by spending 40 or $50 to hand this book to your coworkers. And so I think that's a pretty good deal. That is a pretty good deal. I guess you're also, in a way, creating a sense of community, too. Exactly. Because now you are part of something, and you all know the secret handshake. You all know the phrase. You're all in sync. And being in sync is a fundamental human need. Absolutely. When you, when you wrote this as marketing, what was the main thing that you really wanted people to be able to understand? What was the urgency behind it? Well, I run this online seminar called the Marketing Seminar, and 6,000 people have taken it. And I have seen, because I can watch while they're engaging with it over 100 days, I've seen people change. I have seen the light go on. I've seen people who are struggling stop struggling. I've seen people who are complacent stop being complacent. And I'm a teacher, and I saw change happening. So the urgent thing for me is to teach people what I see. Now, after they see what I see and they don't like it, that's fine. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your attention. I get it. We don't agree. But there's no question that if you engage with these ideas, you will either agree with me or disagree with me, but it's not trivial. It's important one way or the other. And so my goal in writing the book was to put a stake in the ground and to make some assertions after 30 years of being in marketing to say, this, this is marketing. And if you think marketing is something else, go do that. But let's not make it this amorphous thing that no one understands. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you, you work really hard to demystify in this book is that marketing is not Don Draper advertisements anymore. And you even go so far as to say that that there are certain marketing I would even just call them tactics that we use now that will not matter that much in the future. What are some things that you think will matter in the future and what won't? Well, the the most important obsolete thing is the fact that we can buy someone's attention cheaper than we can use it. That advertising, Google ads, Facebook ads, direct marketing, brand marketing is dramatically overrated 
as the way to build something important. Not one brand of the last 10 years, not one important new brand has been built with advertising. That's a spectacular shift from 1970 when every brand was built that way. So that's the thing that goes away. What replaces it is trust and attention. If you can earn attention and turn it into trust, you win. And I don't think that's going to change for the long haul. All right. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. We're about running to the end here. I really hope that we've gotten at why why marketing can be evil and why it can't be. And I just, I loved that at the end of This Is Marketing, you actually addressed the question, is marketing evil? Yeah, I feel very strongly about it. And when Time Magazine talked about my blog by pointing out that I would never talk about whether marketing was evil or not, I took that as a personal challenge Mm -hmm. because I think some people make bad choices because they're looking for a shortcut. But marketing itself is the engine of our culture and our culture is the only one we've got and we might as well make it better. All right, cool. Well, thank you so much, Seth. This is Marketing is Out. It comes out November 13th uh, at fine bookstores. Unfine bookstores will not have it, but fine bookstores will have it. <laughs> okay, good to know. Then go look for This is Marketing where fine books, books are sold. And um, thank you so much, Seth. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Simplify Spotlight with Seth Godin. If you want to grab a copy of his new book, This Is Marketing, it's out now. And you can also find the key insights on Blinkist. Blinkist, by the way, is an app that you can get for your iPhone or Android phone or your tablet or the computer or pretty much whatever you want. And what's really important, though, is the stuff that's inside Blinkist, the key ideas from the world's best nonfiction books, which we pick out by hand, not with an algorithm. And then we distill them into super concise overviews you can read or listen to in just about 15 minutes. Go to Blinkist.com slash friends and type in the voucher code marketing to try it for free for 14 days. This Spotlight episode was produced by me, Caitlin Schiller, Nat Dereshkina, Terrence Mickey, Ben Jackson, Odie Constantino, and Ben Schumann-Stoller, who for the next six months will be swaddled in a minimum of three layers of fine fleece attire to combat the impending Berlin winter. We're hard at work making season five for you, but in the meantime, we always love to hear from you. Tweet me at at Caitlin Schiller or email all of us at podcast at Blinkist.com. All right, we'll be back with more really soon. And until then, I'm Caitlin, checking out. Mm-hmm.